following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. I'm telling you, the whole Groundhog Day, Punxsutawney Phil gimmick, it needs to change. The 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 shadow thing, it's not about six more weeks of winter. It should be determining if we'll get two more weeks or two or more weeks of spring. <laughs> because once again, we basically skip spring. Two weeks, and then we're right into summer with triple-digit days. What would you say the uh, current temperature is, Sage? It is currently 95. 95. So, but what does the heat index say? Um, 94. Oh, well, that's weird. Okay. Which is surprising given how humid it was to start the day this right. morning. Yes. And yesterday. Yesterday yeah. was a little muggy yep. at a Toyton Family Stadium. I wore, I wore uh, a t-shirt and, and jeans. And uh, I was a little sweaty with the windows open there at Toyton Family Stadium. But we saw the Bat Cats pick up two out of three against the Kansas Jayhawks. And Coach Pete Hughes gets his first series victory against KU. So congratulations to the K State baseball team and their non last place in the Big 12. That was a really big deal about that series. You win the series, you're not in last place, a really good chance you're in seventh place. Potentially, and they are right now, seventh place in the Big 12 standings. And on top of that, you get to put the Jayhawks in the ninth place and hurt yeah. their chances for the tournament as well. Yeah, good chance KU will be the team that doesn't make it to Arlington. Gee, what a shame. Yeah, I well, uh, I won't feel bad for him. Yeah, like won't I feel said, bad just, for him. Yeah, what a shame. Yet on the flip side, I would imagine KU fans, the basketball yeah. fans, don't exactly feel bad for K-State today. Welcome to the game. I am Mitch Fortner. This is Troy Coverdale. Hello. Over there is Sage Williams. No DG today. No Big Steve. Just us three. I'm sure everybody knows the news by now, and this is what will uh, dominate a lot of the show today. Uh, not the whole thing, but, you know, a good chunk of it, which, by the way, if you want to do call in and give in your uh, give your two cents, 537-1350, if you want to call in, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mitch Fort or at the game KMAN, or you can hit up Troy as well at Troy Coverdale. And that is, I have good news and I have bad news. And we're going to start out with the bad news. And that is, earlier today we found out Antoine Davis, somebody we've really been raving about the last couple of weeks, maybe a couple of weeks to a month on this show. Yeah, Hoping, praying, fingers crossed, that out of the five he had on his list... He was going to pick K-State. We're talking about this guard from Detroit Mercy, who's a 22nd leading scorer in men's basketball history. He had played four years with his dad at Detroit Mercy, and then after that fourth year, enters a transfer portal. Detroit Mercy, K-State, BYU, Georgetown, Maryland were the five schools, and we were going to find out today where he decided to go. Ladies and gentlemen, he has decided to go back to Detroit Mercy. A shocking, I would say, surprising result, and not one I was exactly expecting, and I'll break it down for you here. So let's basically 
I, I want to go through the timeline again, just kind of set up the story and how we got here in the first place. We're not going to go too far back, but I do want to jump back to May 5th when he announced the, the, the decision would be coming up on Monday. So that was four days ago, mm-hmm. and we had a weekend to sit around and think about it. I don't know if there was a K-State fan that has been following this story, listening to the show, that hadn't thought about it quite a few times. Been in the back of your mind. Where is Antoine Davis going? Because we know, we knew, if he decided K-State, that was the Marquis pickup. I mean, just for one year, but a crazy good score. Yeah, that's going to be the marquee guy. It eases the strain on building the roster for this season, gives a little bit of a leeway then to be looking towards next. Fast forward to today, it was at 10 a.m. Antoine Davis himself said the announcement was going to be coming at 3 o'clock, which was 3 o'clock Eastern time, so 2 o'clock Central. Now, around that time, Jeff Goodman tweeted out that it would be between BYU and Maryland. Well, Davis came back and quote-tweeted that and said, respectfully, IDK, who told him that? I don't know Mm -hmm. who told him that. When I saw Jeff Goodman come out with BYU and Maryland – and I think all K-State fans could agree, our hearts sank a little bit. We invested a lot of effort in this recruitment process, did we not, K-State fans? We put a lot of love and a lot of interest in this Antoine Davis, and so did the players, so did this coaching staff, and so did the community. But Davis was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's pump the brakes there, Mr. Goodman. That's not exactly the story here. So, all right, roll it back. Jeff Goodman deletes the tweet, whatever. Good for him. So, fa- yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll admit it. Good for, for Goodman for deleting the tweet. Honestly, the way I would have gone with that, I just would have retweeted what Antoine said and just put, hey, my bad. Got some bad word or got some bad uh, mm-hmm. information. Yeah. Um, okay, so fast forward to 124, and this turned out to be true. This is Jeff Goodman again. He says, and this is where it gets really interesting. Because at first I saw BYU and Maryland. I was like, Maryland and it's like, well, God, we can't lose to BYU. I was going to lose it. I was going to lose it. So 124 gets here, and Jeff Goodman puts it out there that Antoine Davis has agreed to a one-year NIL agreement with a Chinese basketball manufacturer to produce custom glow balls. So I, I still don't know exactly – Understand what a glow ball is, but you know it's a ball that lights up. Right there, you go. Right. Well, the so basically what the glow balls would feature would be like his custom logo, and um, along with his team marketing, and the deal would be more would be six figures, a very lucrative nil deal. Just the second we have heard of in the last few weeks, if you also count Nigel Pack, that we know of when a deal comes out to six figures. That's a big deal. Well, K-State Twitter and Twitter alone just starts working its magic because that's where we're getting all their information about this Antoine Davis saga. And the conclusion we start to draw, and I was right there with them. I was reading into it as well. Jimmer Fredette came into play. Jimmer Fredette, you might remember, going back to the NCAA tournament back in 2010, ran into one Jacob Pullen. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jacob Pullen was the winner in that one. Shout out to Denny Clemente as well. (laughs) <laughs> and so but Jimmer Fredette now is playing basketball in China and I, I guess someone somewhere found out that he had maybe been in cahoots with this manufacturer I don't know all about that but people have been saying that oh for crying out loud 
And so, and then Jim are for debt. People start flipping out. We're talking like five minutes before this announcement is made. Jim are for debt's tweeting out to Antoine Davis. Let's go, my man. BYU is waiting on you. And at that point, I am losing it. I'm like, we are really going to lose out because of NIL, because this is just all about money. We're going to lose out to BYU. I was fully ready to go on a soapbox once again about how I really feel about BYU, which has nothing to do with athletics, but uh, has to do with the history of BYU and what makes that uh, university go. And then he says at 2 o'clock, he's going back to Detroit Mercy. I was like, in a way, I was hurt. At the same time, I was like, Softened the blow. at least it wasn't BYU. <laughs> but it made things even weirder, in my opinion. I'm like, Detroit Mercy, really? Interesting. And things, you know, it, it really became more clear. John Goodman with another tweet, he said, Anthony Davis has told Stadium that he will remain in Detroit for the remainder of his career, which, of course, is just one year. And he was leaning towards BYU, which, I mean, insult to injury, poured a little bit more salt into the wounds. But uh, according to one of his sources with the NIL deals that know more about this, he's going to split this NIL deal with his teammates. And uh, that is what really helped him decide to remain at uh, Detroit Mercy. A couple more things I didn't, you know, De- uh, Detective Mitch was really involved in this recruitment process. <laughs> and, you know, beforehand, before we knew he'd be going back to Detroit Mercy, you know, maybe uh, old Detective Mitch should have been a better detective and considered two things, you know. For one, he wears number zero. There's no way he's going to wear zero at K-State. Right. Um, now, I don't know if a jersey number exactly this day and age would be the deciding factor or not. I mean, you know, money is obviously a big deal now, but also he's playing for his dad. He's playing for Mike Davis. Right. He has played four years with his dad at Detroit Mercy. If you really look into the numbers, I mean, his son playing on the roster on his team is what's probably keeping his job at Detroit Mercy. I mean, we're talking about over the last four years, which is how long Mike and Antoine Davis have been at Detroit Mercy. I mean, we're talking about a four-year span where the team has gone 45-69, and 69, had, a, had one eight-win season, which is terrible. And, I mean, we're talking about the Horizon League. And also, if you want to average out how, how bad their defense has been, we know the pretty decent offense. At times, they've averaged, you know, throughout a season like 70 to 75 points a game. But if you average out those four years and their scoring defense – Averages out to 75.5 points a game. Mike Davis probably should not have a job at Detroit Mercy. Mike Davis was very limitedly successful at Texas Southern. I'm not sure why he got this Detroit Mercy job, to be perfectly honest, or why he took it, for that matter. I mean, but don't you see, I, I don't know the history of the Titans, very little, I mean, Everything I'm spouting off right now, a quick Google search, and I could find out exactly how bad they've been under Mike Davis. Insert a remember the Titans joke. But, I mean, isn't that that does seem like a job decrease going to Detroit Mercy, doesn't it? Uh, from Texas Southern? Yes. Uh, from an HBCU to 
heart of horizon. Detroit, yeah, to the horizon. No, that would be in one way to view it. The other way would be, yeah, because the HBCU, at least in terms of Texas Southern, has a decent amount of resources. That's a that is a solid recruiting base. You're right there in Houston, and that's a that's a good job. That is a very good HBCU job. But also brought this up earlier, Antoine Davis. You know, maybe a big part of this as well. Not only the NIL deal he was able to put together through the through the uh, transfer portal process, uh, which we'll, we'll definitely touch on later on. He's also going for a scoring title, which I don't see that as being a possibility. I know he could really climb up in the ranks, but we're talking about Pete Maravich, right? Who has nine hundred and thirty three more points over his career than what Antoine Davis has right now. The guy that is actually probably in his sights is number two, Freeman Williams, who played at Portland State. But Antoine Davis going after that record, his best shot is honestly at Detroit Mercy. Sure. Because he is the show. He is going to play 38 minutes a game, and he is going to have the ball in his hands most of the time. He will be taking the majority of the shots. He is the sole reason his dad has a job, and he's the sole reason, maybe not sole reason, but he's a gigantic reason why over the four years Mike Davis has been the head coach at Detroit Mercy that he's won 45 games instead of 25. Horizon League's tough, too, though. Let's be perfectly honest. When you're a, a team like a Detroit Mercy that hasn't had a lot of recent success, you're working on digging yourself out of a hole. You're in a market where uh, Oakland has been very good at times of late. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a solid low-major league that they have to try and make up ground in, and it hasn't happened. But with NIL, where college basketball, where college athletics recruiting is these days, and Antoine Davis's decision to stay home at Detroit Mercy, yes, it hurts. But I don't exactly – I'm not mad at him. Let's put it that way. I, I don't blame him for making this decision. And we'll certainly get to that more later on the show. Make sure to tune in at the top of the hour, 5 o'clock hour. We'll get into how I feel Antoine Davis not only played K-State, but played BYU, played Maryland, played Georgetown, and had a plan all along. But I said to begin the show, I have good news and I have bad news. That was the bad news. The good news coming up next. Back to the game with Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale. Sajay Williams is here as well. She got a final coming up later this week. We're going to help her study for it later on is, this week as well. The only one you've got left? I have two. Technically, one is not like an actual test, though. It's just something I have to turn in, and the other is an actual final on Friday. So that's fun. Oh, yes. Pure entertainment. We're gonna have a study party. It's a fun. It's a fun topic, though. Okay. Music history. Oh yeah. Yep. Very so fun. We're gonna help her get an A. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how well we can do on that. Yeah. So Troy and I having a, a a small argument during the break about exactly how tough the Horizon League is. Now the Horizon isn't what it used to be. Let's say ten years ago, you had Butler in there. Valpo was in there. These days you have Milwaukee, who used to be really good, uh, but Wright State, Detroit Mercy. 
Northern Kentucky, Cleveland State, uh, UIC at Chicago, uh, Green Bay, Oakland, IUPUI, Eesh. Purdue, Fort Wayne, Robert Morris, Youngstown State. I lucked out and didn't have to do the IUPUI slash Fort Wayne trip once. I was very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah, those wouldn't be fun to uh, no, broadcast. No, no. Having Fort- to say those names over and over. Yeah, well, and at Fort Wayne, you are up literally in the rafters. I uh, got an earful from my uh, my replacement on that trip. Um, Oakland has had success. They've been an NCAA team. Uh, Cleveland State was the NCAA rep this past season, I believe the season previous. Uh, Let's see here. Robert Morris, no, they're down from what they've been in the past. You're right there. Um, Northern Kentucky broke onto the scene as a a, uh, new member in Division I. And, you know, sitting right there on the outskirts of Cincinnati, they've got a draw and have had some success, just haven't been able to maintain it just yet. But they're still getting on their feet overall at Division One, but uh, you know they've got money there, and uh, those those are three schools right away, though that I feel you can count on consistently in that conference to be at the top. Who was it? Was it Robert Morris that beat Kentucky in the NIT? Believe so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's also the point that I brought up to you. You know, Detroit Mercy and Robert Morris are the oddities in that conference in that they're private schools. Everybody else in that conference is a public school. That's always a tough challenge for folks, too. I see here uh, Butler. Butler used to be in the Butler Horizon used to League. be in the Horizon. Xavier, but that was that this, was a little ways back, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was all before really the first wave of realignments that took place at about the time that uh, the Big 12 was just getting on its feet and going. Are you ready for the good news? Absolutely. All right. So Sunday, really the weekend, and I kind of gave you a preview it on Friday. If you heard the show, if you didn't, search for the game came in on SoundCloud, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got to keep up with the show. Got to keep up with K State Athletics because our numbers are true the roof, and keep up with what's going on with the game now. I told you about four names, Anthony Frias, uh, Gavin Forsha, uh, Drake Cheatham, and Jaden Jackson. Four guys, transfer portal guys, that were uh, visiting K-State and could be immediate impact guys for this year, for years to come, with years of eligibility remaining. And they they would certainly fit into places where K-State needs to add to its depth. Well, four guys, not one, not two, not three, but four. We got a quadruple all-in-one text cat signal from Taylor Bratt. <laughs> and K-State did land four transfers this past weekend to bring the number of transfers coming into the Cats for 2022 to 10. I got to say, this is a job well done. This was a much-needed addition, all four of them, when it comes to K-State. Now, I will say, though, one of the names that I mentioned did not commit. He did receive an offer, but did not commit. That's Gavin Forsha, the linebacker, 6'3", 215 freshman from Tyler Juco from Nashville, Tennessee. I would have totally been all in on him, too. Ten and a half sacks last year. That's fifth in the country and seven in one game. Yeah, it would have been great. But Frias, the running back, 
who ran for 851 yards last year, is going to be a great backup to Deuce Vaughn. He has decided to come to K-State. Drake Cheatham, the 5'10 sophomore uh, defensive back, who's from Prairie View A&M. Second straight year, the Cats add a defensive back from Prairie View A&M, and I hope he's a second coming of the sauce boss, Reggie Stubblefield. And Jane Jackson, not high on him, but I do like his potential. He's very, played very little in three seasons at Ole Miss, but hopefully he's going to be able to help out for the wide receiver core this upcoming season. Now, here is the kicker. And here is the guy that I honestly did not expect to, to pick K-State. His name is Jordan Wright. He is a cornerback, which if you follow along with K-State, you know the Cats did lose a couple of corners in the transfer portal, who are definitely expected to be a part of the depth this year, the rotation. But you feel pretty good about Oka Boydo and Julius Brents anyway. But with them as the starters, after that you have redshirt freshmen. You need some guys. Well, they got somebody, like I said, wasn't expecting to become an account, and I'll tell you why. Now, he did come check out K-State, and then he was set to go look at West Virginia. Well, what happened there was before he went to Morgantown and to go chat with O'Neal Brown, he uh, got a little offer, got a little uh, visit request from Tallahassee, Florida mm, State. Right. And, uh, you know, I know Florida State hasn't been great for, what, five years now? Had a really rough five-year stretch. I still see that name pop up. Late Jimbo and now Mike Norvell. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Bobby Bowden, and I'm thinking what a powerhouse Florida State used to be. I still think of him as a pretty big name. Free Shoes University. And so when I see them (laughs) on the list of uh, for this Jordan Wright, who would be a great addition, I mean, we're talking Fullerton Community College, uh, three years of eligibility remaining. He's a Juco All-American. Nobody threw towards him, kind of like an Echo Boydo. Mm -hmm. Echo Island, right? Nobody wanted to throw his way. I'm like, man, this would be fantastic to get him here. Because, yes, three years of eligibility remaining. I I do believe Echo has two years technically left, but, you know, his next level potential uh, certainly will hopefully skyrocket this season. Julius Brintz has gone after this year. Going to need him moving forward. But Florida State wants him. He goes and visits Florida State. I'm like, all right. I mean, it's a great opportunity for him. He'll probably go to Florida State. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm at K-State Baseball. I'm watching the game. Cats are working on a comeback Sunday against the Jayhawks, which they did, by the way. Needed a little bit of luck. But um, they got it done. And for K-State football, maybe a little bit needed a little bit of luck as well. But you know what? He picked the Cats. Troy's sending me some texts, and I forgot to mute my phone. Sorry about that. No, sorry. Just wanted you to see the uh, headline that's coming in. Oh, okay. Oh, is this breaking news? It's a Ross Dellinger tweet. Okay. NCAA Board of Directors today, and uh, Dellinger with Sports Illustrated. Uh, Board of Directors adopt NIL guidelines that clarify existing bylaws prohibiting boosters from recruiting. Okay. Sources tell SI now. Let, let me finish my little thing here. Yes. Read up on that. Yep. Get all the information gathered. We'll get to it here soon. All right, I kind of forgot where I was here, but that's, that's very important news. Very important news. 
uh, after, I mean, yeah, Nigel Pack. Yeah, we we know we know what's uh, kind of uh, what's lit the fuse mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many things, but Nigel Pack certainly a, a a part of the case. But back to Jordan Wright, six one one seventy five, and he also had offers from KU, so beating the Jayhawks in another recruiting battle. Hawaii, SMU, and uh, and three other schools in there as well. This was a very nice win for K State. Very nice win. I mean, you're going to see him on the field next year. I was absolutely. I was really actually surprised at the limited amount of times that opponents threw at him. Then I saw what the past breakup numbers were, and I was like, "Yeah, that explains it." Because he, you know, that's a guy closing in on ten pass breakups, and you've got to remember that those are probably as thin a stat in terms of granted to players. As you're going to find, yeah, I saw they're, la- a tough, they're a tough stat to track. I saw last year he was averaging like two tackles a game, mm-hmm. which I'm like, I'm sure most of those was he was you know maybe cleaning up somebody else's missed tackle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because not many balls were going that way. No. And so, man, K State, what what a great weekend it was for football. I would say they really filled some spots. Where they needed to, running back, Frias is most likely going to be the backup. You would imagine right now on paper that he would be the backup. He's got a ton of experience uh, when it comes to one year. I mean, he was the leading rusher for Modesto Juco mm-hmm. last year as a freshman and going 851 on a team that loved to run the football and scored 17 touchdowns. A little bit more of a bruiser. I, I love it. Change up. From what we have with Deuce, sure, in terms of bruiser, yeah, Yeah, cheat. And you know, obviously, it will take a lot of the workload off of Deuce. Mm -hmm. That's the the, that's the goal there. Don't want him taking every single carry. Maybe give him a little bit of break here and there. Although I'm sure he could maybe handle taking every carry. Uh, Drake Cheatham is going to definitely help out the safety position. Uh, And um, you know, Jane Jackson. I hope he really does come through at wide receiver. But really happy, really happy. That Taylor Bratt, Coach Kleiman, the coaching staff had a great recruiting weekend with a lot of dudes in town. And uh, I know now with the addition of those four guys, and this might be a more of a DY question, but a, just kind of a guess of, on, I think, where K-State is at right now when it comes to available scholarships. Uh, with Will Honus most likely being added to a scholarship for this year, you might have one or two left. So, yeah, there's a... Uh, at this point now, not a whole lot of recruiting most likely is going to take place other than maybe addition of one or two more guys. So we'll see how it plays out. But uh, when we come back, when we come back next, uh, we'll talk to uh, Troy here and about the latest <laughs> breaking news in NIL. That's up next. Sage, is this one of your bets? You bet it is. You know, I remember watching a documentary on Rush, and they talked about at one point how like they just don't have very many female fans. Sage, are you one of the rare female Rush fans? Well, yeah, my mom, she is really into classic music, so or classic music, classic rock music, and so I got really into classic rock. Okay. So yes, I would consider myself a Rush fan, and this particular song, my mom would always say to me, she's like, "This is your song, Sage." You're in, you're always limelight. wanting the limelight, yeah. And I'm like, oh, mom. So when does she take over for David G on uh, mornings? <laughs> on K Rock? <laughs> yeah, she'll just she'll get right on in there. She can talk about it. Did you ever see Rush? No, I met you. Oh me! <laughs> I can get in there too. No, yeah, she has seen Rush actually. Have you? I haven't. No, no but she she will. did go exactly. Yeah, no, she did go to a Rush nice. concert with her friends. I, I did get to see him one time, 2013. At one point, uh, Paul Rudd. 
came out on stage and started slapping the bass. Slapping the bass, man. Is, is there anything that that dude can't do? Paul Rudd. You know, it's funny. Girlfriend and I were talking about him because he's in the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. And how good he is in that movie. Like, he, he does have some range. I don't think people notice that. Mm-hmm. But he just ha- happens to be from Kansas City. Big Royals fan. Of course, he's associated with KU as well. A lot of the big celebrities from Kansas, or, uh, Kansas City are associated with KU other than Eric Stone Street. Welcome back to the game. Mitch Troy Sage with you. I'm going to let Troy carry this next segment. I can already hear my voice going. And that, I mean, it comes off after three days of well, announcing a baseball. And and some of it we touched on, I touched on a little bit Friday afternoon after you left, and that is one of the things that has kept the NCAA from uh, getting involved in a lot of enforcement over the past 20-some-odd years, and this... According to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, now this change uh, with how the NIL is going to be viewed is going to get interesting because do they have the ability to enforce and are they willing to take on the ability to enforce knowing that they're going to face lawsuits? And that's where, uh, in the past, the NCAA got a foul of courts, specifically Overland Park, why they no longer are in Overland Park. They got tired of a certain judge's uh, district courtroom and moved to Indianapolis thinking they'd get a better court atmosphere. Well, it hasn't helped. Uh, So here's the breakdown. Uh, Dellinger saying that, according to his sources, the NCAA Board of Directors approving NIL guidelines today that will clarify the existing bylaws. The clarification prohibits boosters from being involved in recruiting. So are we talking like, you may not even have the answer to this, but like having contact with this player? Correct. Okay. Basically brokering, or not brokering a deal, but creating a deal. Correct. And Creating a deal and, and putting it in place before they officially are signed to a letter of intent. That's the way I read that. The group of school presidents rubber-stamped the guidance that college leaders hope will jumpstart the enforcement staff to investigate potential rules violations. The guidelines are meant to be retroactive, which means that Mr. Ruiz down at Miami may start to sweat a little bit. If, or he may be putting that money into lawsuits coming up. But, see, yeah, the, the thing is, though, if it's going to be retroactive, then they can go back in time and start investigating those that, uh, I mean, have there really been, though, any rules? There, there's not really any rules in place, so, I mean, they're not supposed to pick up these in-ideals for pay-for-play. See, that's kind of where I'm confused. It feels like there's a ton of gray area. But would you say that Nigel Pax wasn't a pay-for-play? Oh, no, I definitely would. That's the type of deal that we're talking about. So basically the NCAA is saying we're going to go back and investigate. See if, the, see if these things are actually just, hey, we just want you to promote our stuff, or hey, no, the real reason we want you here is because I'm a Miami guy. Mm-hmm. And I want to see my team win. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Nigel Pack, here's $400,000 a year for two years. Come to Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sweating. Yeah, he's sweating. So, here's the deal. I mean, here's where uh, 
programs across the country. Here's what you need to do. You need to find a lucrative business in China and get in cahoots <laughs> and start getting some NIL money. And this is where it gets interesting then, because then you get to the point of enforcement. And we have talked about how it's taking forever for the enforcement issues against KU to be resolved, among other schools, but KU predominantly. Literally, the enforcement staff is down 15 to 20 members than from uh, pre-pandemic. It already was a relatively low-level area in terms of employment at the NCAA because of what has taken place over the last 20, 25 years in terms of their enforcement. However, Ohio State AD Gene Smith, according to this article at Sports Illustrated, says the association plans to replace people eventually. The NCAA enforcement staffing situation is the biggest issue when it comes to why they've not deeply pursued violators to this point, according to Colorado AD Rick George, who was on this committee. Industry experts contend any enforcement will invariably generate lawsuits from wealthy donors. That's going to be where this gets exceptionally interesting. But interesting, yes. But I will say this: I mean, I will never, ever, ever be an expert in NIL. No, I never will be. I. But here's the deal: we're talking about a businessman who who makes millions, billions of dollars, and I'm talking about John Ruiz, who yeah, mm-hmm. he, he has that medical history app you can go back and look at whatever medical history you have or whatever however the thing works it generates millions of dollars mm-hmm. he's a very rich person he can easily afford this nil deal with nigel pack he can also easily afford lawsuits he's he's not he's not a dumb person i i guarantee you i he was fully prepared for this kind of thing making sure there's not a bunch of receipts out there that could prove that he recruited Nigel Pack for Miami for pay for play. These business guys who have made these deals so far, you got to be prepared. That you knew this was coming. That is going to be an interesting question because if his viewpoint was that he made those moves within what the NCAA was allowing, it's going to be a matter of how he felt that the bylaws read versus how the NCAA is reading how those bylaws should be enforced. He may not have the receipts. He may have just out and out made the bold move because he felt that he was within his rights and and that he was doing so legally. Let's also not forget John Ruiz is a attorney. Also true. And uh, probably knows how to be a little bit shady. No comment. <laughs> You've got to remember, I've got to a dr- lawyer in the family. All knows right, how to on. draw up documents, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would agree. There, there's going to be a lot to that story, no doubt. Just by what you mentioned about the NIL, new stuff with the NCAA, and how they're going to retroactive go back and look at certain situations and investigate, potentially, and John Ruiz may be on the table, my just prediction right now would say, He's not going to be in trouble. That whole Nigel Pack thing, going to be fine. Might have to go back and go through some uh, old text messages or whatever, if they can get that subpoenaed. 
but uh, or get the rights to look at them. Florida's a weird place. I don't know all the rules down there, but I know a lot of things are very public. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, he's not. He's he, he he was smart about it. There's no way he left a paper trail. No way. I as an attorney and as somebody who's made millions of dollars as a businessman. That guy's got the brain tools to figure out what I do need to do and what I need to make sure I do to cover my tail. No doubt. Granted, Miami, as a school, has had the ability to do that for years anyway, which is part of how, well, they got in trouble because they got too big in terms of some of the folks. But you're right. He's an attorney. He's probably got a view on it. Again, this is one of the things that I laugh about just with some of what I follow online, because you get into situation where attorneys are arguing online, that's when you know it's a pretty good case. It's when that they're all lined up one way or the other that that you know that an outcome is going to go a certain way. Tune into the game September 14th, 2025 for the results of their investigation into the John Ruiz Miami case. All right, we'll take a break when we finish Hour 1. Coming up next, movie review with Sam Honeybuns. Welcome back to the game on WNBC. I watched Private Parts the other night. Okay. Hadn't seen that in a minute. But it was on HBO. I was like, well, I mean, it's my former boss. I hadn't seen him in 10 years. I got to watch it. And it still hits. Still hits to this day. WNBC. Oh, man. Speaking of this last weekend, my girlfriend didn't know who Benedict Cumberbatch is. And I was really surprised by that because she knows every other actor and actress out there. But Benedict Cumberbatch happens to be Doctor Strange. And old Sam Honeybuns is back. He had the preview on Friday and now it's a movie review with old Sam. Here it is. Welcome to the Micro Movie Minute with me, Sam Honey. Today we're taking a look at Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Every night I dream the same dream. Then the nightmare begins. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. Directed by the legendary Sam Raimi, the latest MCU film sees the titular hero, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, journey into the multiverse to protect a young girl, played by Sochi Gomez, who cannot yet control her powers. Does the newest Strange movie put the madness in the multiverse of madness, or is the whole film one bad trip? Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is like a really good fireworks show. It's got the sights and sounds to make it unique, but not much substance beyond that. The visuals and editing is spot on from Raimi, but the actual story and character stuff is a little on the lackluster side. However, I still really enjoyed this movie because of how unique its style was. Most of these MCU movies, besides the Guards of the Galaxy movies, typically have the same style and kind of blend together. Right off the bat, you can tell this is a Sam Raimi movie, and because of that, I loved it. I'm a huge Sam Raimi fan, growing up watching the Evil Dead movies and the original Spider-Man movies, and there are so many nods and stylistic homages to those movies here. This is definitely a comic book movie that has the zaniness of a comic book from the Silver Age, while also 
also giving hints of horror vibes. Speaking of, while this movie is not super violent, there are some pretty gruesome deaths for a PG-13 movie, as well as some disturbing imagery, so wouldn't recommend taking the more younger kids to this one. The score is also a fantastic plus, being composed by the always great Danny Elfman. Not only is it memorable, but even plays a key role in one particular scene in the movie, which is probably one of my favorite scenes. Now let's address the big elephant in the room, the plot. While Multiverse of Madness looks great, its story falls a little flat at points. There are some inconsistencies and gaps in the story and characters, but thankfully the movie moves at a fast enough pace that they don't linger too long. Lastly, the characters, besides Strange and Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen, also fall a bit flat, including newcomer America Chavez, played by Gomez. Thankfully, Cumberbatch and Olsen give great performances as always. Overall, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness mostly delivers on the madness from its name with its zany Raimi style, but lacks a little bit on the substance. That's why I'm giving it three Bruce Campbell cameos out of five. That'll wrap up this week's Micro Movie Minute with me, Sam Honey. Sage, are you a big Sam Raimi fan? I do like Sam Raimi. I grew up on the Spider-Man movies, so... Shout out to Tobey Maguire. Kirsten Dunst. I saw Spider-Man 1 and 2, and I haven't seen another one since. You didn't see the third one? <laughs> no. I didn't. Never been a big superhero guy, and I looked up Doctor Strange here and Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, he does look a little strange. Hour to the game. We're going to be back to Antoine Davis, not picking the cats. How he played us a little bit. Plus, number one song of the day, and Ask Us Anything, all coming up. Hour two next. <laughs> 